Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you take your seats, church? Let's prepare our hearts as we head into a time of hearing from His Word. Amen. Thank you. I have a word on my heart, but before we get into that, I wanted to share this scripture. You know, it says in Isaiah 55, verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my words be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word, we know it's alive, it's active, it works within us, it's life, it's breath. His word, as we've just heard here, it will not return void. So that means when it goes out, It's not going to come back to him empty. That's the transformation within our hearts. It sets out to accomplish a purpose, and it will accomplish that purpose within our hearts if our hearts are receptive to his word. Amen? So let's come before him as we hear from his word today. Hearts open wide, hearts ready to receive his word. Amen? God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you that your word is powerful. It's purposeful. We thank you that it has the power to change our lives. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place today within our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Today, we are wrapping up our series, which is Expressing Christ confidently. Okay, it's been a really good series. Who's enjoyed it so far? Looking at our values, we've heard from quite a few different speakers, which has been, I've really enjoyed that. That's been really powerful. So we're looking at our values. Love, give, grow, serve. Today, our final one, which is serve. Okay, so serve. Before we do that, I'm going to have a drink. Okay, so we're looking at serve today. Now, I don't know about you, but what comes to your mind, like when I found out that this is my topic, serve, okay, great, that's great, but what instantly comes to your mind when you hear serve? I think for me, it's like, okay, yep, Um, I think a lot of us, we might be that's a really good thing to do. We know that it says in the Bible we must serve. Um, We might think of a call from the front, work party, and like, oh, okay, well, I probably have an hour to spare. Yeah, I can can do that. We know it's it's a good thing, but I don't know if any of us are like, hey, guys, there's work party. Woohoo! Excited, like super excited to serve. But what I do know is that I believe... (coughs) Jesus wants us to understand the power in serving. Even though maybe our mindsets are on serving, that it's a little bit like, okay, I just 
I've just got to do it, something that has to be done, the cleaning, okay, I'll do it with a good attitude, the Bible tells me something that has to be done, but there's power in serving, and I believe that he really wants us to discover this power in servanthood, amen? So we're going to get into this, this scripture, now this scripture is one that has thrown many people off over the years, but we're going to look at it, we're going to break it down, okay, are you ready? All right, so we're going to look at faith without works is dead. Okay, James 2, 14 to 20, 26. Let's go through it. Follow along with me. So what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay, so if I didn't know more, I would think this verse is saying that if we have faith but no good works or we are not serving, then we're not saved, okay? James says in this scripture that you can have faith, but it's not necessarily a saving faith. He also says demons believe. Okay, demons have some sort of faith because they have to believe in that there's a God because that's what they're fighting against. They have a faith. They have a belief. But in no way are they saved whatsoever, right? So this is him saying that we can have a professed faith, faith but it can just be knowledge. Okay, now we're going to look at Paul's teaching. Okay, so this is in Galatians 2.16. Let's look at what Paul says. Follow along with me. Knowing that a man is not, just, is, is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. So here, Paul's saying that we are not justified by works. But haven't we just read that we need to have faith and works together? So we have James teaching what Jesus taught. We have Paul teaching what Jesus taught. And actually, it appears that they're against each other, but they are not. They are very much together on this. Okay, so Paul is saying that we are saved by faith alone. Okay, not by works. We are saved by faith alone, by grace, right? What Jesus did for us on the cross. He died on the cross for us so that we can go free. We cannot work our way to salvation. We cannot earn it by anything we do. It is completely from Jesus and from, by his grace. Yeah. So 
we see James and his teaching, he follows up what Paul is saying. They're actually very much together in this. He is saying that we are saved by faith in Christ, but the faith that we are saved by, it must be a living faith. It can't just be a professed faith, okay? So it must be a living faith. And, you know, as I was dwelling on these two different scriptures and thinking about it, a story came to my mind, a time where um, I used to travel on the train, so I lived in Kapiti Coast, and to get into work, I had to travel every day, and it took an hour each way, right? So every day, I'd get on this train, travel back and forth to work. And there was one time, and back then you had to actually have a bit of paper, like a ticket, a paper, (laughs) and the train guard would come around, right, I don't even know how it works now, but a train guard would come around, and he would ask you to produce your ticket. And so I would always pull it out, and he'd come, and he has a clicker, and he clicks it, and makes sure that you are meant to be there. Okay, so every day I'd pull this ticket out, he'd click my ticket. But one time I reached into my pocket, I was like, I don't have my ticket on me, and you can see him coming, and I'm like, and that's like my worst nightmare. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I don't have my ticket on me to show that what I had purchased, I knew I had purchased, but I had no evidence to show him that I was meant to be there, and I actually got chucked off that train. <laughs> I got tracked off the train, so off I went. This is like my worst nightmare, not my worst nightmare, but I really was so humiliated. Okay, so I got tracked off the train, and I was thinking about another time, actually, that I was on a train, and this time I was in India. Now, this is the very first time that I went to India, okay? I'd never, ever been there before. I had no idea what I was in for. I was actually going to get engaged to Peter, okay, so as actually my dad and I, we were on the train and we'd booked this train, it was all settled, we all did it online and we got up onto the train, climbed on with all our bags, climbed onto this train and the train guard started coming towards us, we hadn't started yet and, and he didn't speak a lot of English but he was asking us for something and we knew we had paid for this trip, it was a big trip across the country, it was like a 12 hour trip. We knew we had paid for this trip, but we had nothing that he wanted. He wanted evidence, which was probably a bribe. I think he wanted a bribe. But we had nothing to show, nothing to produce, because we knew that we had purchased it, but we had nothing to show, no evidence to show that we were meant to be there. So once again, chucked off that train, literally our bags were taken and thrown out the door, literally chucked off this train. So I have had many thrown off train experiences. So I do not do public transport at all anymore. That's why I have no clue. I literally don't know how buses and trains work. Anyway, so (laughs) saving faith, it produces a ticket. It produces something not because of our own striving, but it will naturally produce a ticket. You've paid for it by Jesus. And then, once you're saved, produces something. Amen? A saving faith. That's what a living faith is. So it's not 
the cause of salvation, but is the evidence, the evidence of salvation, okay? So at the moment of salvation, okay, God takes our stone cold heart, right? Replaces it with his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit enters us and begins that work. And it's by his Holy Spirit that we can produce an evidence. By his Holy Spirit, it's brought out of us, not by our own hard work. As it says, good works in James' teaching, it's not by striving and hard work, but he will naturally produce it. It flows from a deeper place, from a heart that is no longer stone cold to a heart that's transformed. Amen? Amen. Amen. So good work reveals a living faith. So if we are saved by a living faith, how do we know we're producing these good works? How do we know that we're on the right track? Okay, so what I've done, I've put this table together just so we can compare side by side. Okay, hopefully this is helpful. So I've got self-service here and I've got true service. Now, self-service, so we're talking about good works, we're talking about serving, producing fruit, okay? So self-service would look like being prompted by your own feelings, okay? So guys, we've got work party this Saturday. Okay, yeah, I better do it. Yeah, I think I, think I better do it, okay? I, I, I can get there. I can probably spare two hours, yeah. Okay, true service is prompted It's a divine prompting, divine prompting. It comes from a deeper place. You're not, when your call comes forward for work party, I'm not saying you have to come to work party every time, but when the call comes forward for service, it's like, I want to give God glory by what I do. It comes from a deeper place, not a feeling. Okay, self-service for external acknowledgement. So when we serve and it's self-service, we really want to be acknowledged. You've done so much hard work. You've been scrubbing those bathrooms out there for hours. And you just want someone to say, get up here and say, well, you know, Peter was out there. He was scrubbing the toilets for hours. Let's all give him a hand. Woohoo! well done. And that's what you long for when it's self Service, acknowledgement. Okay, and true service is for God's glory alone. Amen. So we don't need praise. We don't need acknowledgement. Even though if there is honoring, if there is acknowledgement, we don't shy away from that because that can be for other people, right? To receive honor, to receive thanks. But we don't need it. We don't crave it. It's for God's glory alone. Okay, so self-service, it serves who it wants, when it wants. So there might be someone, okay, I want to serve my pastors. If they see me serving, I'm going to be like, you know, really up there in their eyes. So it serves who it wants, when it wants. Okay, true service serves. Now, this is really interesting. As I was going through scriptures, you know, if we are serving for God's glory alone, we can serve our friends. That's, that's pretty easy for me. I love to serve my friends. 
I love to cook for them actually, and I really enjoy that. But to serve my enemies? Oh, what, if, what if you had been working for 12 hours straight, and at the end of that day, you discover it's for the person that makes your life a living hell? How would you feel? Can you still say it's all for your glory, God? Yeah. Self-service destroys a community because it's all about me. It's self-seeking. It cannot build. It cannot edify. It cannot encourage because it's, it's, it's selfish. It's all about me. True service will build community. It's edifying. It encourages. You're moving together in unity towards a goal. Self-service out of own strength. True service out of his strength. It only comes from him. Now, self-service, we, if we're in self-service, we tend to have an orphan mentality. Okay? True service is we are secure as a child of God. So this orphan mentality, it's, it's a striving. It's I can only rely on myself. A child of God serves freely. It serves for his glory. It doesn't need praise. doesn't need acknowledgement. It's completely because you're secure. You know who God says you are. You are secure that you're his child. So you can serve freely your enemies, your friends, anyone. Amen? And so when you are clear on whose you are, you're clear on what you do. So now we're going to look at how does this truly work? How, where does it flow from? Okay, we're going to look at abiding in Christ. Amen. Be found at his feet. That's what I'm calling this point. Be found at his feet. Abiding in Christ. You know, you can act like a servant or you can truly be a servant. So how can we be the servant instead of just, okay, I better quickly go and do something, look like I'm busy, okay? That's acting like a servant. How can we be a servant of the Most High? A true servant is found at Jesus' feet. He was the greatest example for us. There's a story where he washes his disciples' feet. I'm sure many of us know. He washed his disciples' feet. And he's he did it to show that the least, that the greatest will not will be the least, right? He did it as an example for us. He wanted to teach us that just because, and all his disciples were like, no, 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 you can't because you're our rabbi, you're our teacher. But he said, no, you must lower yourself. And serve, and he washed their feet, which this job is reserved for the lowest of lows. And he said, No, I'm gonna wash your feet. We look at Mary and Martha, you know, I love this story, Luke 10, 38 to 42. Have you ever thought about which one are you? I remember when I read this when I was young, and I used to think that actually Mary was really lazy. Anyone else? 
I was like, surely this is not quite right because, so the story is Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and she's absorbing and learning um, and then Martha is preparing food for Jesus. She's literally going to feed Jesus Christ. She's preparing the meal. But Jesus says to her, Martha, why are you so worried? Why are you so distracted? You're running around. You're worried about so many things. Mary, your sister, has chosen what is better. She's sitting at my feet. She's been found at my feet. And it's really interesting because this place being at a rabbi's feet, it was reserved for men, disciples of the rabbi. Mary was found at Jesus' feet feet. It's a place of humility, of lowliness, of being ready to learn. So our serving, it comes from a place of sitting. Sitting to serving. And you know, abiding in Christ, being found at his feet, being seated at his feet, that is where the power comes from. When you're found with him, the power to serve, the power to be transformed, the power to grow, it comes from being found at his feet. Not running around, striving to do everything. I can do this, I can do that, and trying to do everything in your own strength. No, it's being found at his feet. Now, this doesn't mean that okay, I'm just in this um, time of where I really need to just be at Jesus' feet and I'm not serving right now. That's not what it means. From that place of being seated, it prompts you to serve so you can be seated and serving at the same time. That's where the power comes from to serve for his glory alone. Amen? So abide with Christ and see his power at work in you to create a servant heart within you. Now, like I was saying at the beginning, serving, I think a lot of us think it's just the mundane, it's just normal, it's ordinary, it's nothing really amazing and powerful, but I truly believe that we can see a miracle in the mundane, in the ordinary, in the serving. We can see a miracle. You know, recently I, along with a whole lot of other people, we took this personality test, okay? And I've done many personality tests, but this one in particular, it came up with that I was the helper. And I was like, Okay, and I redid that test probably five times to try and get something a little more like stronger, a little bit more like glamorous, the helper. Kept coming back every time, the helper. That's my personality. And I was like, I don't want to be the helper. I want something a bit stronger. But I've realized in my life, thinking about it just while I was taking that, I want something a little bit like, I want to be the leader. I want to be the motivator. But no, I'm the helper. And do you know what? I realized that, wow, there's power in that. Times when I've been serving alongside cleaning, doing cafe work, toilets, 
there's been some really powerful moments of when you're just serving together for one common purpose to glorify God ultimately, to grow his kingdom, serving together. I've seen some powerful things come out of that time. I want us to look at this story, a miracle in the mundane things of life. You know, Jesus' first miracle, he turned water to wine, his very first miracle. John 2, 7, let's go through this. So Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. So these servants, they got a front row seat to Jesus' miracle. Have you ever thought how this night ended? So this was at a wedding, and Jesus performs his first miracle. Have you ever thought how it ended? I don't know. I just think about these sort of things. So the servants, they went home telling their families, we just saw water turn into the best wine ever. They would be telling their families. It was literally water. I saw it with my own eyes. Then it was wine. The rich, distinguished wedding guests would have gone home. It was a really weird party. The, the host, he bought out his best wine at the end. Like, you just don't do that. Like, he bought out his best wine. Nobody could even really taste it by that point anyway. The servants got a front row seat to the miracle. You know, our flesh, it fights against serving. It fights against serving. It's not something we naturally desire to do, to lower ourselves, to scrub floors, to serve somebody else, to be underneath somebody else. It doesn't come from a natural place. So the flesh, it fights it. Amen? It fights serving. But we... As a servant of the Most High, we must die to our flesh. Can I have the worship team, please? Let's look at the scripture, living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We must become a living sacrifice. In this scripture, Romans 12, 1, Paul appeals to our will to offer ourselves. So that's saying we present all of ourselves, not just our bodies, all of ourselves, everything we are, as a living sacrifice. And now an offering 
especially if you look at the Old Testament, an offering was set aside the very best. It was set aside to be offered to God. We too need to set ourselves aside to offer the very best to him. In verse 2 of the scripture, it shows us the three basic elements of a living sacrifice. It says that a living sacrifice is not conformed. A living sacrifice is transformed by an inward renewal that works outward. A living sacrifice is able to discern the will of God. And you know, the problem with a living sacrifice, when we're very much alive, but we've offered ourselves completely to God, is that it can tend to get up and walk away because we're a living sacrifice. That's why we need to abide in Christ. Be found at his feet. Stay put because apart from him, we can do nothing of value. Abiding in him is where the power is found. Stay put as a living sacrifice, abiding in Christ. So why do we see this miraculous in the ordinary, in the mundane? Like we saw with the servants at the wedding, why did they get to see the miracle? Why didn't the rich guests get to see the miracle? You know, because servanthood, it teaches humility. It means death to self, to truly serve God, we must die to ourselves, serve with humility. And you know, when we die to self, we become so full of the Holy Spirit that there's no room for anything else, no room for our flesh to fight against serving, but it becomes all about Him. So we serve for his glory. We don't serve for our own acknowledgement. We serve that he will be lifted high, that his kingdom will be extended. And that is where we're going to see the miracle. Amen. A servant, a true servant becomes more alive. We lower ourselves like Jesus with his disciples. We lower ourselves, and he will lift us up. We become more alive as we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Everything that's not of Him, it will be burnt up. If we've truly offered our hearts to Him, He will burn up everything that's not of Him. And He will set us on fire for Him. Amen. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to be set on fire for Him. That I can serve wholeheartedly not oh no work party oh no I can't no, I want to serve wholeheartedly with all my heart because I know the purpose I know there's power I know I'm going to see a miracle in the mundane Matthew 10 41 to 45 yet it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become 
great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus Christ came to serve. How much more should we lower ourselves, become that living sacrifice that we will become a servant of the Most High? want us to let's stand let's stand we're going to worship together but I really believe in this moment that some of us we need to resubmit it's a constant submission right a constant resubmitting so if you want to stand here I'm going to open this altar up Resubmit your life as a living sacrifice that everything that is not of Him will be burned up and you will burn bright for Him. You will burn with passion for Him that you can serve from a place of glorifying God. So let's, let's worship together and please come. We'll stand with you. We will pray with you. Let's worship.